Right, we're on the the continuation of chapter 17. Um, Those of you who were here last week, which I think is most of you, um, will have heard the beginning of the chapter 7, which is the the Lord's Prayer. Um, First of all, he prayed for himself, which David took us through uh, in the, the first five verses of the chapter. And this section that we're going to look at now is the follow on from that where the Lord Jesus prays for his disciples. So it's a section of um, John 17 from verse 6 through to verse 19. So let's just read that together. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all I, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. And I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I pr- protected them, and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This first section I want to look at, the first three verses, that's verses 6, 7 and 8, um, can be broken down into some very beautiful truth. And I want to spend quite a bit of time on that because this is the, the Lord revealing some amazing things that he wants his disciples to appreciate and understand. Because remember, this prayer, although it's to his father, it's in the earshot of his disciples. And it has been obviously captured um, to be part of the inspired word of God, which is for praying for the 11 disciples that are there listening to him. This goes far, far wider. This is something for all disciples. And this is why it's something that we need to pay very close attention to because it affects us 
in our disciple pathway. Right in the beginning, um, he, he says here, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. I have revealed the Father's name. This is another way it's been put. The Father's name is something that is so prominent that we've heard before, and it's a coming again, that the purpose that the Lord Jesus Christ came was to reveal the Father. I and the Father are one, was what the Lord Jesus said. <clears throat> and he came, and you read it in John 1, <clears throat> verse 18, he came and he, in order to explain him, to unfold and reveal the person of God the Father. And it's a, a word that's sometimes used in the older versions, manifest, manifest his name. And you're looking at the Lord Jesus revealing somebody, if we can put it that way, who is invisible. He is revealing the great God of heaven, the creator of the world. He is revealing not as somebody who is an image or a replica or a resemblance. He is revealing himself <laughs> as an exact equal with God. In Philippians 2, it tells that, that Christ was equal with God and he's in the form of God. And it's the nature of God that is being revealed. So when we look at the person, what the, the Lord Jesus is revealing, it's not the body of Christ that's important. It says of the body of Christ, of course, that there was nothing about him that was attractive. Um, it didn't matter really whether he was six foot tall or he was only five foot tall. It doesn't matter whether he was amazingly handsome or he was ugly. He just took on a normal body. Um, it was nothing special about it. But what was special about Christ? And the most important thing was what he was revealing in the character of God. Let me go back to, you know, in Exodus um, 33 and 34, you get the revelation of God to Moses in a very remarkable way. In fact, you go right away back to the beginning of the Bible and God reveals himself bit by bit to different characters in the Bible uh, by his name. And his name reveals a little bit more of his character. And in, in, Ex, in Exodus, where you get Moses asking to see the glory of God and God saying that he would pass by and he came to Moses after he'd passed, after he'd put him in the cleft of the rock and covered him by his hand. He then revealed him in the cloud, himself in the cloud. And it's, you read, in fact, I'll just see if I can read it. It's a few verses in Exodus 34. It's worth just noting it down or sticking it in your head just to read this for yourself. And um, and verse 5 says that the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children's children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. But then in verse 8, Moses' reaction to it, to the revelation that he's been given, is that Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. What is it that motivates us to worship? What is it that motivates us to love? When we think about these, these things that God revealed to Moses, his compassion, his graciousness, his slowness to anger, his abounding love, his faithfulness, his maintaining love, his forgiving the wicked and the rebellious and the sinners. His love endures forever. You know, there's a psalm, Psalm 136, and it's got 26 verses in it, and 26 times it says, his love endures forever. The writer of that psalm had got the message and it was so prominent, he said it over and over again. You know that they actually sang that in the dedication of Solomon's temple. And they got together with their musical instruments that David had made uh, for the very purpose of worship. And there they played that, and they played it. And you can just imagine as the glory of God came down and dwelt amongst them and filled the temple, the oozing out of their songs and their worship was his love endures forever. 26 times. The reason I'm just mentioning this is just starts here in this part of his prayer to his father. I have revealed the father's name to them, to the 11 disciples. He's revealed the name to us too. And of course, the question that I want us to consider really is what effect does that have on us? Is the revelation of his name in the character of Christ. And that's why the study of the character of Christ is of absolute importance to every Christian. That if we're going to worship, if we're going to be of any service, of any uh, proper disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to have had the revelation of the name of God as seen in the person of Christ and to see all these aspects of him. You know, the disciples had a great opportunity that they were able to see him, this body that he indwelt, actually living out the name of his father in the graciousness, in love, in compassion. And that was the man who they watched going to the cross and giving his life. 
So first thing was the revelation was uh, to explain and to understand that the, he says to his father, I have declared your name. The second thing I've noted down is that they were the father's gift to him out of the world. The disciples were given by God. They were God, belonged to God. God had made them, but they were in the world. And the world, as we know, was a place of sin, a place that had been racked with sin and a place where mankind was heading for a lost eternity, eternal death. And here you get this picture, just from that few words, they were the Father's gift to him. They were those that you have given me out of the world. It's the picture of the Father handing over, first of all, these like a living disciples and saying, they're yours. They're mine, I'm giving them to you. That's our salvation. That is where we come from. We have been clucked plucked out of the world and we have been given to Christ. That's remarkable. That's something we need to meditate on, think about it, that we were given by God. We belong to him. He's given us to Christ. Why is he given us? Well, the disciples were given as belonging to God and given as precious. It says then that they, the Lord said, they had kept his word. They have kept your word. That's how the disciples responded to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That as he spoke to them, he was speaking the words of God, his father. But he was God himself. So everything was absolutely perfect, that everything was word perfect, that what he spoke was exactly what God the Father wanted him to say. And he was giving them truth because the Lord Jesus couldn't speak anything else. He was truth. So what came out of his mouth in this human form, in this vocal way, was the truth of God. And he had been given the responsibility of his father to give them the word of the Godhead, to give truth. And he gave it to them. And it's he able to say in his prayer, they have kept your word. You know, it gives the responsibility to us if we are asked the question, you know, that have we kept the word of God? Because we are the same in the same position. That we have got the word of God and it's been given us. And it's precious. It's from God. Him who has given us over as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us his word. Is the Lord Jesus able to say to the Father, David King has kept your word. Or put your name in there. You see the importance of 
obedience to the word of God, the importance of knowing the word of God. These disciples couldn't stand up and say, well, we've never heard it. <laughs> we don't know what the word were or what they should be. The Lord Jesus had come all the way from heaven to ensure that he showed the beauties of the Godhead in all their perfection. And he taught the word and the mind and the character and of God to the disciples. And what's the outcome? Well, the next thing was that they knew that all things belonged to the Son. And it had come from the Father. That was the important thing, was that Jesus Christ was not just a good man. And of course, this was what he was teaching. And it was important for them to grasp and understand he's not just a good man. He was not just like somebody like John the Baptist or a better John the Baptist. <laughs> this was God incarnate. And it's important that they knew that he had come from, not just as a messenger, not just as a, like in the past, a prophet, um, just repeating words that God had said. They said he was God and he was coming and he was oozing the character of God. And the disciples believed he was God. That was crucial. The words that had been given them by the Son were given him by the Father. And that gives it the ultimate importance. There is nothing more important in this world, absolutely nothing, than the words of God. Because, you know, when you've been, if you're reading Jeremiah at the moment, and the prophet Jeremiah repeating the words of God and people listening and saying, I, I don't believe that. Um, you're talking a lot of rubbish. Um, we're going to go and do our own thing or we're going to totally ignore you or even worse, we're going to try and kill you. We just don't like what you're saying. You know, these are people that totally misunderstood who it was that was speaking. They just saw a man, Jeremiah, and thought he's, well, he's just like any other man. He makes mistakes. And when you get the character of Christ and he's standing there teaching them and he is God, then what comes out of his mouth is absolute truth. And when we look at the word of God as being flesh that we read in John 1, then it's got an importance that's beyond anything that you can possibly imagine. So why would we belittle it? Why would we water it down? Why would we dismiss it? Why would we ignore it? But in the prayer here, the Lord Jesus is able to say, the words I have given them, they received them. That must be lovely. It must have been a, a heart lift for the Lord Jesus to be able to say that to his father. What I've given them, they received it. Are you and I able to say that? We can hear the words. We can sort of 
repeat some of them. But it's receiving them in a way where it's total belief that this is from the mouth of God, the creator of the world, the one who has got our future and the future of the world in his hand, who has got all purposes before him. He has spoken through Christ. How do we respond? They had received them. And then it says they believed that Jesus came from the Father. And that, of course, sums it up. <laughs> they believed that he came from the Father. Therefore, he is somebody of vast importance, of crucial importance. And therefore, they're able to accept everything that he says in worship. It doesn't mean to say they don't make mistakes. And of course, this is where we, we know from our own experience that there's times because we're going to be attacked. And as the Lord was saying to them in their prayer, I pray for them. And now we go on in verse 9, where you see him acting as intercessor. He is praying. As he prayed for Peter, he knew Peter was going to go through difficulties. He knew that Satan was going to attack him. And so the Lord prayed for him. That's amazing thing, that. Do you think that you know that the Lord prays for you? <laughs> the Lord, the God of heaven, prays for me? That's wonderful. What better <laughs> situation can you ever imagine? We often talk to each other, but pray for me. But imagine the Lord Jesus is praying for you. Who does he pray to? He prays to his Father. As the Son of Man. Because he's our intercessor. And he's promised that he'll intercede for us. I pray for them. As our great high priest, our intercessor, the one who is between the majesty and power of God and all his glory and poor sinful us is the person of Christ praying for us. His glory, he says, is in his disciples. That's another amazing thing. You think that the glory of the Lord Jesus, he sees it in us. So when we look at the character of God that was exuded out in the person of Christ and the way he conducted himself, he was passing that on to the disciples and he was asking them to go out there and to show it, to, to go forth and to show the glory, the glory that he had got from his father, that he was telling his disciples that he was getting in them because he was going to the cross and there was no doubt about what was going to happen in the cross. There was no way it was not going to happen. This was what the Lord could talk about almost as if it had happened because he was in perfect harmony with God and nothing was going to stop. And although Satan was there amongst them and that's where the protection come in, that he was praying for the protection of those that he left in the world because he was going to leave them. And he knew that amongst them, 
that when, whilst he was here, he had protected them, he had kept them, despite the fact that one of them was a devil. And despite the fact that Satan was right amongst them, he still protected the eleven. And they were not going to be won over by Satan, except the one which, who the scriptures had revealed that Judas would succumb. That was already determined. But the other 11, Satan was not going to get his hands on them. He might have the odd success in the battle. He certainly wasn't going to win the war. And that was it. And so he kept them safe. He protected them. And he, despite it all, it was an encouragement to us that when we are attacked, as we are all the time, Satan is here in this world. He is active amongst us and he's constantly niggling away. But the Lord Jesus is praying for us and he is protecting us. What's the outcome going to be? Well, we might stumble, but we won't fall because he'll carry us through. And when we stumble, he's there to, to help us as he was his disciples. Christ desired in this prayer that they may have his joy in them. You think the Lord Jesus suffered so much, even before the ultimate sufferings of Calvary, he suffered as somebody, he didn't have anything of this world. He, he suffered the rejection, the threats of death. He, he suffered by having no proper home. He suffered in so many practical ways before the cross. And yet he talks about he wanted his disciples to have his joy. What was his joy? His joy was disciples. His joy is us. He wants us to manifest him. He wants us to show forth what we have been given and to enjoy it, to appreciate it so that we can reflect Christ. Christ, the perfect image of Almighty God, and we who are in Christ are able to reflect the characters of God too. And that gives him joy. And although we fall, he picks us up again because he's won us for eternity. It's eternal. It's his love endures forever. His love endures forever, 26 times. Keep saying it in the presence of God. His love never fails. He was talking about us, the disciples remaining in the world. He was leaving the world. He was going back to the Father and he knew he needed to pray for them. He knows what we're going through. He knows the difficulties we have. And he's praying for us because he knows that we're going to struggle. He talks about the evil one. He's a person. <laughs> it's constantly attacking us. And he's saying, sanctify them by the truth. It's necessary, you know, for us as disciples to separate ourselves from the world. That's what sanctification means. It's separation. He 
was separate from the world. He wasn't part of the world. If we want to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be separate from the world. I think, you know, when you think about the, the verse that says, I, if I be lifted up, draw men unto myself, is talking about the Lord Jesus being lifted up on the cross. It's almost a picture of him being raised above the world, albeit just a few feet. But it's a separation. And if we want to be true disciples of him, to be sanctified in the truth, we need to be raised up out of this world, separated, and join him on the cross. Join him in resurrection and join him in glory. You know, I've mentioned it before, but you know, the, the picture that Salvador Dali painted of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross has got a picture of him well above the, the, the earth. You see the earth below, it's uh, showing a great distance, but it, it gets that point. Whether Salvador Dali was thinking of that or not, I have no idea, but it's certainly a thought that I've had looking at that painting of the separation of Christ from the, the sinful world. You know, he sanctify, He wants us to be sanctified in him. He who sanctified them by the truth, separated from the sinful world, it's been removed by the cross of Calvary. And we are his. And we are special. Separated unto God. And effect is the effect of the word. It's the practical expression of our sanctification is us acting out the glories of Christ in our lives. I'll leave it there.